Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zira Today. I am your humble host, <clears throat> Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, empowerment, engagement, uh, <laughs> all that other stuff. Uh, hold on for a second. Let's pause and rewind here. <laughs> uh, we're presenting knowledge that's engaging and transforming and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. So many ways you can join us. Follow us on all our social media, Facebook, the Zero Network on Facebook, on Twitter, show handle, Zero Radio, Z-E-R-A Radio on Twitter, my personal handle, uh, Lorenzo T. Neal on there. And... Uh, Check out my website, LorenzoTNeal.com. Follow us all on, on all social media. I think I said that already. Whatever. I I only had a light, small cup of coffee this morning, so <laughs> I'm still kind of out of the loop on some things. But anyway, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you so much. We know that you could be doing so much else, and we are glad that you thought it not robbery to be with us here this morning. I got a couple of topics I want to talk about. As you can see, if well, you can't see, but if you're clicking on the link, you probably clicked and listened because of what I'm talking about, the black church. Clergy retention, equity, and social engagement. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that I, I want to talk about. I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about later on, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes and his new uh, real estate the real estate development um, plan that he's going to be doing in the Atlanta area. Metro area. I'm going to talk about uh, some of the crazy things that's been happening in the headlines when it comes to uh, preachers for whatever reason. And I am going to talk about the black church, uh, black preachers in particular, and why there's an increase, an increase in black preachers leaving and walking away. So I'm going to get into all of that in just a few moments. But before I do all of that, um, I was reading the AP uh, while I wire this morning with news and all of that, and it came across something I thought was uh, pretty pretty awesome, and that being um, the fact that there are a lot of fake news that goes out. And I don't like using that term, fake news. But um, the way it's presented is, by, of course, by Trump. And I, I don't like using that phrase since he came up with it. But um, uh, the AP does this thing called fact-checking. And I, you come to discover how many misleading 
or outright false uh, information put out by media. And by media, I'm speaking not just major news outlets, but also uh, the platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube, where uh, there, you know how many stories there are that are either outright false, being promoted as uh, factual information, or where the information is factual but is buried so deep in the article that you, you know, you never really get to the facts of the article. And, of course, most people just read for headlines. You probably like me. You go to a book and you look at the cover and you think, oh, it looks good. The cover is good. The title is okay. The graphics are okay. You never read the book cover or behind, you know, back to see what the book is actually about. Then when you get it, you're like, oh, this sucks. Or you may do it, you may do movies that way or music that way, you know. You never really do due diligence to search out, which is why I'm a part of the Pro-Truth Pledge. I invite you to join me and many others like me who, when they look at media today, they get this kind of uh, upset because they know there's truth in there somewhere. But we have decided to make everybody rise back up to the standard that is needed And so we look for integrity, and we want to hold all our news outlets, politicians, uh, every person, (laughs) really, to a higher standard of critical thinking, critical reasoning, critical presentation, and ultimately truth. And so join me. Go to ProTruthPledge.com, and you can see myself and others, we've taken this pledge to make sure truth goes out the way it should go out. But anyway, I just wanted to bring that to your attention because there's so much, so much that's going on. Today, there's a the fact checkers did a story about Kamala, Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, the headline was that her book was being sent out as part of a kit to to uh, legal immigrants coming into the country. That once they got into the country, they were processed and they received this kit or whatever, and it included a, her book. And of course, I read the headline and I was like, "That that can't be right. That can't. That just can't be right." And of course, the fact checkers uh, say, "Yep, the claim that a copy of Vice President Kamala Harris's book is being given to every migrant child in a Long Beach facility housing unaccompanied minor." who recently arrived at the border, is false. The fact is that uh, the New York Post published this story. And uh, (laughs) the the fact is that, no, they are not being given out to those children in those facilities. Um, They were trying to say she was cashing in. uh, Vice President Harris was cashing in on it. The sale of the books. And and it turned out, no, that's not the case at all. Um, More specifically, says the office of the vice president was not aware that her children's book was donated. Key word, donated. And then on Tuesday, the New York Post posted, updated two stories to reflect that there was not only one donated copy. Only one donated copy of Harris's book. The reporter who wrote the original article uh, resigned, <laughs> and in a, t- in a tweet, uh, referred to the article as incorrect story that she was ordered to write and failed to push back hard enough against. Now, <laughs> now think about this. The donation of one of Harris's book to somewhere, someone, somewhere in a facility that happened to be uh, with mar- migrant children uh, turned into the story that the government was pushing her book, right? And that she was profiting out of it, off of it. And of course, as we just read, the author who wrote the story, the reporter who wrote the story said that she got it 
and was told to publish it and did not push back against it. So if that's happening, in, and if those of you don't know, the New York Post is a conservative news outlet similar to Fox. I think it is wrote, owned by Rupert Murdoch. Uh, I, I, I want to say that, but I, I may be mistaken. But anyway, it is a conservative um, news outlet, and it's the com- primary competitor to the New York Times. So you, uh, those who watch, listen, or read <laughs> the New York Times um, are considered – progressive, liberal, leftist, all that. And those who read the New York Post are largely um, independent, moderate, with right-leaning or ultra-conservative, you know, the like. So there's their contrast there. It's just interesting that if this is happening on simple stories like that, how how often is it happening on other stories? So I just want to say, you know, do your due diligence. Do your due diligence. Don't just take the headline for what it is. Read the article. And when you read the article, read um, critically, you know, and that's something we should all do. I have to find myself, not just when it comes to reading, but when I'm listening to uh, public speakers, particularly politicians, I've had to catch myself to not engage in the folly of just listening to them, you know, to the, the phrases. I, I, I'll give you an example, primary example. The other day, President Obama, former President Obama, was on the stop for uh, New Jersey governor candidate, the Democrat New Jersey governor candidate. And he got on the stop and he said uh, something and I began to hear him. I was like, man, he's starting to sound like a preacher. He used, we can't do, we, we might not do it uh, as we want, but we could do it better. <laughs> that was a horrible, horrible <laughs> impersonation. And he built, he, he built a whole tune and a whole strain around the word better. I was about, you know, I, I wanted to get everybody, so he said, we didn't get everybody health care. But we got health care for a whole lot of other people. We did it better. We we can't you know, we can't do something, but we can do it better. You know, and I was listening, I was like, man, this dude, this dude, this dude right here. And then I went and listened again, I was like, This dude said a lot of nothing. It sounded good, it was fluffy. It sounded good. And I love I've always admired President Obama for his speaking. I he is debonair, he's suave, and I tell you, you know, he in that department, he is one of the best presidents. He he tops Clinton on that for the ability to be relatable, his charisma and all that. Boom, hands down. Um, but, but when it comes to uh, selling points of his, his platform, He's so convincing that people really, they're not listening. And I'm being, I'm speaking very in general. I know some of you may not agree. I don't think people were listening. I think they were enthralled by his speaking as I, as anybody would be because he's such a wonderful speaker without actually listening intently. And those who are listening intently, they may still support him and just don't like what he says, but still support him. And that's how, that's the way I think people should be. You know, I think that's how we ought to be. I think we ought to get to the point where in this state where we can listen and still disagree and be able to grow from it. You know, we, the, I hate the tribalism that's happening in not just our country, it's around the world now, but primarily here in America, tribalism that's that's you're either in or out for or against. There's black and white, no gray, and then the convolutedness of everything else surrounding that leaves people like me who are who are more centrist and like I don't fit in and I don't care to fit in. I don't want to fit in. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm not gonna support you. I'm not going to do anything until you come to this place where you can say 
and do what you really want to say and do. Anyway, that may not have made sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to share that to kind of uh, as a icebreaker going into this show, and you ought to check out the AP News fact checking. I, I like it, and you know, it's it's a funny thing when I when I look into it and I say, oh, I didn't know the story had happened, but now that I know the story. <laughs> was reported or it was on some social media platform or some news outlet said it this way, I'm glad I missed it because how quickly would we have spread it as factual when it indeed was not factual at all. I, you know, that's just my two points. But anyway, y'all let me know what you want to think about that. Uh, yeah, I'll engage you. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back from the break, we're going to jump right into uh, the topic of the day. And there's some specific things that I really want to talk about when it comes to this black church front and uh, all of this. So y'all bear with me. I'm going to grab another squig of my coffee here, and we will be back. We're going to have some deep, deep conversation. At least that's what I hope. Y'all down with? Better be. <laughs> All right. We'll be back right after this. it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. So if you're not aware, I am a very, very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare, and it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy. And I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. Uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine, photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of. You can find it on Skillshare, so and I'm telling you, you're gonna you're gonna really love it. It's it's worth every single moment, every single class, and you'll you'll love it. You'll greatly greatly enjoy it. Go check it out. Skillshare.com/slash/zero today radio. You're listening to Zero today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hello and welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Make sure that you uh, go to the Facebook page, Zero Network, on Facebook, like that page, listen to archive shows, follow us. We appreciate you so much on also on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> and if you have not done so, I want to personally invite you to become a patron. This show is listener supported, so I need you to your help to continue to making this show what it is. Go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Sign up one of the tiers as a patron, and you'll see all the things, the benefits of becoming a patron um, and supporting this show. Now, on to the topic of the day. I came across an article the other day about, um, well, actually this morning, that, that was talking about black evangelicals. And the article is coming from the ChristianPost.com. And uh, I put a link there in. If you click, you should you should come up to no. Well, well. Anyway, go to ChristianPost.com. You'll find the article. But the article was very curious. It was very interesting to me because it was a, a survey, research survey that was sponsored by First Baptist Church and Richard Dawkins, First Baptist Church of Houston, and Richard Dawkins. And there was a, a survey similar to this sponsored by LifeWay about four or five years ago, give or take, probably more than that. Anyway, the survey, survey, uh, the research project took a survey of over 1,500 pastors, um, black pastors, uh, Protestant pastors, and it was conducted from August up until September. And what it found was that 15%, 15% of these pastors who were surveyed uh, have walked away from the profession, right? Well, let me be more specific. Um, his, over overarching, over the last decade, 15%. 15% of black pastors have walked away from uh, the profession. This survey showed that most pastors have stayed in the ministry for at least a decade, but those who leave or who are left, the reason they are left is because they have cited a change in calling. Here's, here's the inference. 30, 32% cited a change in calling. 18% uh, cited conflict in their local church. And 13% cited burnout. Three things. Change of calling church conflict, and burnout is a contributor to these persons who have left the ministry. And mind you, this is just within a, at least a month, August to September. Survey shows the majority of pastors managed to remain in ministry despite uh, COVID-19 challenges, uh, but 63%, a majority, felt that their role was overwhelming, 71% said they won't call 24 hours a day. 50% described the job of being a pastor as great as what they can handle, while significant minorities share being feeling isolated and challenged by unrealistic expectations. And approximately one in five of the pastors described being frequently irritated by church members. I can attest to that. <laughs> yes, Lord. But what does that say? about the black church or about the black preacher and about all this. It says a whole lot. And I posted the link to this article on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, and was having a, a wonderful dialogue between um, a homeboy of mine. And, uh, you know, we were, we were discussing this, and he made some wonderful comments about the shifting – and how people are perceiving not just the church, but scripture and the preacher and, and all that. I said, yeah. And plus, the dynamics of the church is shifting. There was a, bar, a study by Barner that was put out uh, earlier this year. I want to say it was around April, uh, April, March, May, somewhere in there. But 
the the study, this Bonner study, said that um, that uh, there's a shifting happening in the black church, and that overall black adults, uh, including well, this study included Hispanic, uh, uh, yeah, overwhelmingly Christian, overwhelmingly still a part of some type of denomination. And and uh, but while that is the case, there's still about 15% of blacks identifying as nuns or agnostic or atheists. Then there was a Pew Research study um, that says black uh, black adults in the South are more likely than other people in other regions. To attend a black congregation Okay um, and, and all of this is just from New Year, there's another one From the Pew that I really found Interesting, let me see if I can pull that up That Brought up this from February of 2021, said that there are 10 things That um, Black Americans Religious life is is uh, Finding That they found from black Americans One is that blacks are more like black Protestants are more likely to go to church, right, and to in the black church. Two, black Americans value racial diversity in religious spaces. Three, congregations attended by black Americans vary in their worship style. Four, black Americans who attend Protestant churches are more likely than others to say they've heard sermons on politics and race. Five, Young black Americans are less likely than their elders to attend a black congregation. Six, opposing racism is an essential religious issue for most black Christians or black believers. Seven, when it comes to gender roles, black adults typically express egalitarian views, but most black congregations emphasizes men experiences and leadership more than a woman. Eight, black Americans who were born in the U.S. are less religiously engaged and less socially conservative than immigrants from Africa. Number nine, black Americans pray regularly and prayers play a variety of roles in their life. And the last thing, number 10, unaffiliated black Americans are religiously engaged. So here we have research that's showing a, a, a very broad picture of the black faith experience, the black religious experience, the black church experience. And when we add to uh, add the other component in it, the black clergy, then it becomes a whole different thing. We're, we're learning, we're in this age, day and age now where black clergy no longer have the influence that they once held. For example, I am an advocate. If you know, you follow me on social media, you follow me, or you just know, you read my books, you know, I advocate for gun violence, domestic violence, not for. <laughs> I am an advocate for gun violence prevention, domestic violence prevention, criminal justice reform, all of that. Why? Because I have been directly impacted by all of those things directly impacted by all of those things, and it became a part of my uh, ministry unintentionally. You know, I didn't go out to seek a platform to do it. It was birthed out of my my wounds. It was birthed out of my need for healing. And it was birthed out of my need to see people live better and have uh, more rewarding, fulfilling relationships that I do that. All of that still was birthed out of the ministry. You know, next year would be my 30th anniversary, officially, my 30th anniversary of preaching ministry. I, you know, I accepted the call at 12. Was, was I, I like to say I went through an apprenticeship with my pastor. He let me preach. But he didn't call it preaching. You know, I was speaking. I was shadowing him. He taught me. Uh, and, and the deacons in the church where I grew up, they they taught me how the church worked when he thought I had it, you know, went on and let me get behind the big pulpit. <laughs> and that's what I observed. 
next year, 30 years of being behind the big pulpit, uh, the big podium. Um, and so that was birthed. All of the advocacy work that I do was birthed out of ministry. And that was birthed out of, when I say birth, that influence came from the preachers that I saw growing up. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing some of the great preachers in, 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 in Louisiana at the time, E.E. E. Jones, E.L. Jones, um, who else? Good Lord, so many I could name that, that influenced me personally as a child, even the former president of the National Baptist Convention. Um, you know, I had those personal relationships with those men. And you know, I got mentored by them, and I was able to see their community engagement. My one in particular, um, Reverend Roosevelt Wright Jr., who started what we guess what is now the Monroe Free Press, modeled after the Detroit Free Press. Uh, the activism that he did as a college student uh, rolled over to his ministry as a pastor, and rolled over to his community engagement as a scoutmaster, of which I became part of his scout troop. And, you know, I, I learned that social engagement um, there. There were so many preachers in my community who were elected officials. Some of them ended up being a little bit corrupt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, can't, I, I can name a number of socially engaged, civically engaged preachers in my community that helped shepherd me into this model of what the black clergy person should be. I, that has waned. It's no, that's no longer the case. As we just read from the finding in the Pew Center about what is shifting in the black church, black American religious and faith experience, you know, we're, we're seeing that pattern shift also in how the perception of black preachers are, which brings me back to the article. You know, a lot of black preachers are basically at the cusp of this, of deciding, do they want to stay in this thing or not? And we can go through the list of scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal with black preachers. Matter of fact, there was one that was just <laughs> brought up um, this week with a pastor in the Georgia area who has been federally indicted for uh, charges uh, for misappropriating or misusing the uh, what they uh, they uh, COVID loans, PPP loans, COVID relief funds, right? And then there's another pastor in um, Maryland who was indicted for preying on homeless people for marriage fraud. What he was doing is he was getting homeless people to marry national foreign nationals, and he was getting a cut from it, arranging these masters' uh, marriage and visa fraud is what he was doing. You know, that's what he was doing. And, you know, when you have scandals like that, of course, that contributes to the greater sense of dissonance in the church. Why would people come to the church if they think the pastor is corrupt? If the pastor is scandalous, and I, I joke about this, but I take it very seriously. I, I joke and say, if I were to have a scandal, my church would increase, the, the, <laughs> the population in my church would increase. If I had a scandal, because people come just because of the scandal, they want to see is I really doing what they say I's doing? Is I really like what they say I's like? <laughs> Y'all excuse me. <laughs> no, but that's just reality. Not reality, but that's just the appearance of what happens. You know, think about uh, Eddie Long. Eddie Long scandal almost killed his church and eventually it, it it did kill him 
by by kill him, I mean his health began to fail afterwards, and shortly, just a few years later, he was gone. You know, um, and think about Pastor Jamal Bryan, who has replaced him, and the scandal that he's been in. It it it, it draws attention, and it also deflects uh, the attention from God and from all the active ministry that could be going on at a church and all the wonderful things that leadership clergy could be doing in the church, but not, not going to happen. And then there's another story that came up this week and I'm, this one hits home because it's uh, the AME church where the local church leadership refused to uh, give the keys to the, the building to the pastor because she's a woman and they don't want a woman pastor. Now think about this. Here we are in 2021. In Amy Church, we've elected women bishops. We have women presiding elders. Uh, and uh, I am quite certain if that church is like any other church, the majority of the membership are women. And to see them not follow the law of the church but you're not Baptist. You don't get to choose who your pastor is. You don't get to determine as a, as a church whether you like the pastor or not. You don't get to determine the fate of the pastor. You can you can get your pastor moved by saying, "Well, we didn't pay the budget because we knew that would get the pastor moved," <laughs> or you pay the budget and you stand on the floor of a conference and you make your report and your delegate says, well, Bishop, we just don't want our pastor back. Thank you. Don't send it back. <laughs> That's how it works. And this this story has drawn national ire. You can go to the old black church um, blog site, and I want to shout out Ms. Ann Brock for bringing that story forward. Matter of fact, there are several stories on there, I think, that uh, I'm going to discuss <laughs> As while I'm on this topic here, uh, um, you know, you would think in the 21st century, 20 years into this decade, that those individuals will understand that female clergy leadership is is all just it's the norm, you know, it has become a part not just of the AME tradition, but it's become a part of the black faith, you know, Protestant tradition. We're seeing it more and more. There's a story of just a a few weeks ago, or a week ago, rather, that the Kimberly Bogan is the first ordained woman in a particular Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, She's the first in that particular conference, and she's the first in the home church and the first female pastor at uh, New Beginnings Seventh-day Adventist Church. So it's, it's becoming more more normal, um, and, you know, we have a female vice president for the second time in history. Well, not the first time ever. In history, but the second time that a woman is running for vice president on a major ticket. So anyway, this 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 great shift, dynamic shift that's happening in the black church, from clergy to the uh, congregation itself, and that's rolling also over into the broader community experience of black people. Let me go back to this article. Uh, that um, is reported by the Christian Post, the, the research statement, that many of those who has, have lost uh, or left the vocation of pastoring lost it for a change in vocation, a change in calling. Now, here, here's why I stand on this. I believe there is a calling, 
Uh, I accepted my call. I trained ministers who have accepted theirs as part of my role in, in our, our faith community. But that one thing that I have learned after all these years in ministry and pastoring is that a calling does not sustain your profession. A calling does not sustain your vocation. A calling does not sustain your ministry. And it grieves me when people so desire to pastor. And then when they get into that role, and I'm speaking specifically of senior pastor. I'm not speaking about, you know, the various branches of pastors under a senior leader. I'm talking about the person serving in a senior pastor capacity. When you get in that role, you so desire, you start your own ministry in some cases, and, and then you see your church grow, and you have a, a large population to serve, it becomes overwhelming. And then you have to find ways of keeping yourself in the forefront of the ministry. And that's taxing on your emotion, your mental wellness, and all of that is really taxing. And people miss that part. The other thing is, if you are bivocational, it's even more stressful. If you have a nine-to-five job, and then you only preach on Sunday and Wednesday, you, you know, you're not fully giving yourself to the church. Unlike me, who is unmarried, I'm unmarried. I'm able to give myself to the church. I'm, I'm like Paul. I'm married to the church. I know Paul does not explicitly say that. But he implies that those who are single are able to give themselves fully engaged to ministry. And if he wrote that over 2,000 years ago and there was no, no sense of the business of the church, the, the, um, the work uh, the job of a pastor, you know, pastors, I, I don't know how they were compensated other than what Paul said, you know, the, the the labor is worthy of his hire. Don't know how they were compensated. Quite likely that they, um, their job was not like our job. You know, they didn't have to work 30 to 40 hours a week and then preach or if they were in full time, you know, I doubt very seriously they if they did uh very much. So they would visit the poor and all of that. I don't I know I'm 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 going off on this tangent here. Let me get back to what I was saying. It's very taxing for those who are bivocational in ministry to carry the entirety of the work of ministry and and expect to be for it to be rewarding and fulfilling because it, it isn't. There are moments when it's rewarding and fulfilling, but for the majority of times it's overwhelming and can be depressing. And it is really underappreciated. And I know this month is a clergy appreciation month, pastor appreciation month. Um, but for the most part, you know, you're not going to get the due appreciation that you are entitled to. And you, you know, you shouldn't seek after it to begin with. It should, you know, it should be organic from the people, and it should be worth your work to a degree. But anyway, so those bivocational pastors have to decide which is the priority. What am I going to do with them? And, you know, what's more important, my, my work, my secular work, or my spiritual work? Those of us who are in the full-time employee of the church, now that that's answered for us. The the people already said, Well, you're in full time. This is your this is your top priority. Your family should come after us in some cases. And I pray that if and when I do get married, that I never have to struggle to find that balance. That I'm preparing myself now and I, I really am. I'm preparing myself now to get into that space so that if I have a wife, well, when I have a wife there will be no competition between the church and and my wife and my family. Uh, 
and you know, I'm I'm recognizing that through conversation with my friends who are in ministry, who are married, um, and and even going back to some of my mentors and seeing how they handled. Um, some of them are retired now, and I just wanted to see how they handled it when they were going through. Um, so changing in calling is that mean is that meaning that they decided that they will pursue their secular work as ministry, allow their secular work to be the source anyway. Uh, it's a lot because well, pastors, well, those who aspire to be pastors don't realize that it is it is not what it is about to be. And, and I think about uh, there there are three shows, four shows that I think about that really highlighted this 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 dissonance between pastors in the black church. You had the preachers of L.A. You had the preachers in Detroit. You had the preachers TV show, talk show, daytime talk show. And it was something else. But anyway, those three shows, all of them around four or five years ago, all had this sense that if we bring black preachers to the forefront, they'll see that this is worth worth it. And you had these black preachers who were extravagantly wealthy. All of them had this sense of wealth. Not sense of wealth. All of them had wealth. And it was a very, very bad portrayal of what a servant of Christ should be like, right? (laughs) And I say that not because of their wealth. I say it because of what they, you know, what these media outlets who are producing these shows the way they portrayed these people. You know, these are men and women of God, and they were portraying them having very, very tense disagreements. You know, there was a lot of conflict. It's a reality show. You know, they, were, they weren't showing them. Uh, they were showing clips of them preaching. Of course, you know, I'm quite sure they couldn't show a whole sermon because of, of you know, it's, it's television. But what it was showing was the lavishness of his preaching and not the burden of the ministry. And there were there were moments in all of these shows where they tried to manufacture this sense of clergy compassion and all of this stuff. And, and it's manufactured because it's produced. Not knocking any of those persons who were participants on any of those shows, and I, I'm grateful that it did raise their pre, their profiles. Unfortunately, some of their profiles have been tainted because it was raised like that. <laughs> but uh, what it did not do was give a reality into the glimpse of what ministry is like. And uh, and there are a lot of preachers who have spent their entire ministries, I'm talking about 30, 40, 50, 60 years unrecognized. You know, they'll never be raised to the level of persons like T.D. Jakes. And since I uh, I segue on into this T.D. Jakes, T.D. Jakes has been in ministry for uh, well over 40 years, Uh, probably almost 50 um, he is definitely I know he's definitely been pastoral ministry about 45 years and um, I know well not 45 35 definitely 30, I say 35 35 40 years he's been in pastoral ministry of the last 25 years that he's been in pastoral ministry since he has relocated to Dallas metro area his ministry is blown up. You know, he had his talk show. He has so many uh, business ventures that has made him successful, so many books that he has written or uh, or co-written or 
provided, forwarded to, you know, endorsed. And um, there are two preachers who are recognized as king makers. And I use king makers in the sense that if you get a, if you're on their platform in some capacity, your 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 platform was elevated. And T D Jakes is one of those. The other one is uh, Bishop Paul Morton. If either one of those two endorsed you by coming to your church to preach or having you as a speaker on one of their conferences or conventions or whatever, your profile was automatically raised. You were guaranteed a, a bump in your membership. And T.D. Jace has been one of the only black preachers, prominent black preachers, let me put it that way. And I'm not including those who are within the social arena like uh, Jesse Jackson or uh, Dr. Uh, Senator Ralph uh, Warnock. I'm not including them. I'm only including those who are strictly in the church, even though T.D. Jakes has engaged in social, engage, you know, social areas, socially uh, justice areas. That's not his primary thing. His primary thing is preaching. And he's a charismatic preacher. I I loved listening to him when I was a kid, you know, you know, kid in high school and in college. I went to, matter of fact, I went to his first, uh, his very first men's uh, reading in Detroit. I still have the cassettes from that. <laughs> I still remember a sermon he preached from that from that uh, that meeting there, that very first one. I still remember that. Anyway, uh, T. Jakes has surpassed the the role of pastor. You know, he he has become an icon, not just the black church, but in the American church altogether. And he is the rags to riches story. He is the prominent uh, sense of black discourse, you know, and all of that. But he's he's also been this social entrepreneur. By social entrepreneur, I mean that he has literally taken his church, the church that he bought when he first moved to Dallas, transformed that, and then made an entire social entity out of that and has since planted, you know, other churches in the DFW area and in a couple other places. But He's taking this a step further. I, I, I didn't know that he had his, his own uh, real estate development company. But under the under his real estate development company, he's taking this uh, uh, this former military base in the Atlanta metro area, and the Atlanta uh, officials have given him the clearance to develop it. The same area where Tyler Perry developed his his studio. Or has his studio. It's the same area that uh, Jakes is looking to revitalize, and he's saying he's doing it because you know gentrification. Gentrification has drove black folk, black folk out of where they were, and so instead of just letting them stay, we're gonna just create our own. I li- and I like that. I like. I really do like that idea. You know, um, but you can go to the uh, there's this old black church as I mentioned. This is listed there, but also on ministrywatch.com, the article, uh, is the original article is there. But he, he really wants to develop this. Talking about putting a, um, uh, a mixed housing, restaurant, grocery store, pharmacy, hotel, and public spaces. And I really like the idea of public spaces. And I think that's lacking in a lot of black communities. We don't have the public spaces, the parks, you know. All of that. That is, you know, that is what draws people into the community. It gives this sense of safety, gives this sense of stability. And when you know, he's talking about developing that, and I think they bought it for a, a tw- over twenty million dollars. And it's going to be just about as much, cost as much to develop it. But this is the kind of thing that that is really lacking now. That we have gotten away from. My church, the church where I serve, currently serve, we had housing that we just had to take down because, and we did this several years ago. The property manager, uh, you know, the property was not being managed as best as it could. And I was like, I, 
I would not be a slumlord. I can't, you know, if we're going to provide low-income low housing, low-income housing doesn't need to reflect low income if it's by the church. We need to make it to where it can be, you know, just as well as other developments. And there are a lot of churches that are, are trying to get back into that community engagement. Um, there's a church here that uh, that built an entire senior living community uh, housing. And then when I tell you it's beautiful, it's beautiful. And they maintain it, and it's, it's very nice. It's good-looking eyes. And there's another church that, uh, that just happens to be AME that's taking a former hotel, and they've been in the process of revitalizing it. And this costs millions of dollars, and it has a lot of setbacks, but they've stayed the course with the goal of revitalizing that particular thoroughfare of, of Jackson. You know, and, and it, 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 I love when I see churches – and faith communities doing things like that, you know, providing more than just little outreach ministries. We're talking about full community engagement. You know, uh, there was um, several churches I can think about. You know, I, of course, Dr. Tony Evans and his Oak Cliff Fellowship doing all that they've been doing in, in, in um, the Dallas area. And Oak Cliff area, Dallas. I can think about Bill Winston in Chicago, and Bill Winston, all that he has, you know, he used his big business acumen to not only build a wonderful facility for the church or, or uh, buy a wonderful facility for the church, but to develop the entire blocks around the church. And also think about Chip Murray, Chip Murray at First AME in LA did the same thing. And I could go down a list of, of of things like that that was done that we got away from, and we have to re uh, we have to regain that. We have to get ownership back into that. You know, preachers are leaving the profession because they realize that there's more to do, and they're not really doing it. And so people like they're thinking maybe they could do it more at their job than you know than in the church, or there's just a a sincere unfulfillment that's happening that that they are seeing they need to do. But I, I'm of this mind. I I really am. I want to be able to do more. I know. I know what it's like to have burnout. I have worked through burnout, and it has not been good on my soul. My body is definitely not my emotions. And this is just this year. I had I had a moment of fatigue that led to some other things that have impacted my health negatively. And I, I'm being more proactive on how I approach ministry and I've been more proactive on how I engage uh, ministry going into the next 30 years of my ministry, if the Lord allows me to see it. But the one thing I am, I'm very much committed to the fact that I will do all I can to return the, the faith of the community into the community itself, where the church can be another viable means of community engagement and development. We're working on doing it. And I know so many, so many pastors are doing it. And, you know, and our, our sister church, they are managing to do it because the people, are, you know, they've always had this sense of doing it. Not that we should model, or you know, all of that, but we know Historically, how the black church functioned in the overall black community. And I think uh, we, we're in dire need for it and that there is a great desire for it. Anyway, let me know what you think. Leave a comment. Go to the Zero Network. Leave a comment there. Leave a comment on Twitter page. Uh, and hit me up. Email PastorLorenzoDeal at gmail.com. If you haven't done so, go to patreon.com, follow us, like us, 
uh, support us on Patreon by becoming a patron for the dollar month. And we are listener supported. We need your support to continue doing what we're doing. Anyway, I am out, and we will see you next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.